0: Psalms 112. Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighted greatly in his commandments. I guess that's what happens with the ones that fear the Lord. He delights in the word of God. He has a reverential, worshipful exaltation and attitude towards God. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endureth forever. On to the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man showed favor and lendeth, he will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. He had dispersed, he had given to the poor. His righteousness endureth forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. The wicked shall see it and be grieved. He shall not with his feet and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delights greatly in his word. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. If you need an envelope for your giving, you can lift up your hands and praise God forevermore. Thank you, thank you for the name of the Lord The name of the Lord is a high tower and the righteous run into it and is safe Some trust in horses Some trust in chariots Some trust in their own strength But our confidence is in the name of the Lord Because our confidence is in you And we thank you Lord we thank you that you have given us your name. And by your name we have access into the holiest of holies. By your name we can walk in authority over the enemy. By your name we are able to do all things. By your name we have life. Not as the world give it, but a life which is of you. The life Of God. Eternal life. And we live this life. By the power. And by the authority of that name. Father we thank you. We give you praise. We give you glory. And we exalt and magnify you this day. We make your name glorious. And magnificent. For it is glorious. It is magnificent. It is awesome. And it is so wonderful. We bless you. We praise you. We worship you and we adore you hallelujah well praise the lord let's stand as the children go to Sunday school and we believe the lord for the spirit of wisdom and revelation the spirit of might the spirit of and the spirit of the fear of the lord it says in Isaiah chapter 11 that there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. So, Father, this morning as we come to the word, we come to you because the spirit of the Lord is the teacher and Jesus himself is the word made flesh. And we ask that by the spirit of the fear of the Lord that opens up the realms of understanding and wisdom and knowledge and comprehension. And you said that the spirit of the Lord is that master key that can unlock and unveil even your very attributes. So we just ask today that the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the Father will so touch our hearts and touch our minds, that we will see what you want us to see, hear what you want us to hear, and that we will be empowered by the Holy Ghost to walk in the truths that you reveal. And we ask and believe we'll receive this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said? Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's have a seat. Well, praise God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Glory to God. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord.
1: Amen.
0: Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. This morning, um, we're going to talk about elements of the mind of Christ. Elements of the mind of Christ. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's read all the way from verse 9. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. I had not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God had prepared for them that love him. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4, quoting this verse, it says, For them that wait on him. In another place, it is said, For them that fear him. But God had revealed them unto us by his spirit. It does not say that we cannot know the things of God. But it it does say, in fact, that God reveals them unto us by his spirit. Because the spirit searches all things, yea, the very deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man, save the spirit of the man that is in him. Even so, no man knows the things of God, but the spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But a natural man received not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. They have to be spiritually estimated and appreciated and evaluated. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, Yet he himself is judged of no man. And here's the verse, verse 16. For who had known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? The Amplified said, Who has known and understood the mind, the counsels, the purposes of the Lord, so as to guide and instruct him and give him knowledge? And it goes on to say, But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ, the Messiah, and we hold the very thoughts, feelings, and purposes of his heart. It says we have the mind of Christ. Now, if we can simply accept that when we are born again, Christ is in us the hope of glory, Christ is in us the confident expectation that we can come into the glory, into the magnificence, and the excellencies of God, and the glory of God is is as the sum total of all of God's attributes. I, I like to think of it in the context of you know if you take light and you pass it through a prism, it will break up into the various colors: red, orange, yellow, indigo, violet, and so on. Well, and similarly, if you could somehow take the very essence of how God is, who God is, and pass it through some kind of spiritual prism, then you will find the Lord full of mercy, full of grace. Kindness, um, full of power, faithful, holy, righteous, and I believe this is what was happening in um, Exodus when God, when Moses says, "God, show me your glory," and God says, "I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to let my glory pass before you." And when when God was passing before Moses, He didn't say, "Here is my glory." He say, it, the, the, "The announcement came: the Lord, full of power, full of mercy, righteous, holy." faithful, etc., etc. In other words, that was, the, that was like the unveiling of the glory of the Lord. So when the Bible says that Jesus has come to bring many sons to glory, what is it saying? It is saying that, that, that God's desire is to bring us into the very attributes of himself, so that we too will be kind as he is kind, so that we too will have that same type of, operate in that kind of power, operate in, the, in that compassion, operate in his love, operate in his judgment, operate in his wisdom, operate in his in his long-suffering, operate in the very essence of his being. And so therefore says in Colossians 1.27, that Christ in you is the hope of glory. That is the confident expectation that this will this is going to be what it looks like when we come into the fullness. You see, we have the fullness of God in our spirit. The Bible says we are complete in Him. But we do not have that fullness in our mind, and in our will, in our emotions. But it is the will of God that Christ might be formed in us. Um, Galatians 4 verse 19. It is the will of God that Jesus would bring many sons to glory. Jesus says, the glory you have given me I have given them that they might be one even as we are one. It says we have obtained that glory. We've obtained that excellence. Well, think about it. Christ is in you. God is in us. Now, is God in us? And did he leave his power? Did he leave his attributes? Did he leave his faithfulness? Did he come in? Did Jesus come in? But he didn't bring his love? He didn't bring his peace? He didn't bring his joy? He didn't bring his wisdom? No. He brought it all. Amen? So when you recognize that, 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 that um, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ, we are complete in Christ. Christ is in us then obviously the very mind of Christ would also be in us. Amen? So hence, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16 says, You have the mind of Christ. Say, I have the mind of Christ. Say it again. One more time. I have the mind of Christ. That means God's very thoughts, you are able to hold them and you have them. It's in your spirit. Now, we want to get that into our natural mind. In fact, the very process of our mind being renewed is so that we might have the mind of Christ in our natural mind. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. Now, um, so we have this mind of Christ. But now, let's, let's, and we want this mind of Christ to prevail, to dominate, to rule. We want to be established in this mind of Christ. Now, think about it this way Are we the righteousness of God? Are we made righteous? Yes. Yes, But because you are righteous in your spirit, you can be righteous in your spirit and not do righteousness. And not have the benefits of righteousness if you don't walk it out. Is the love of God shed about in your heart? Now what if you didn't walk in that love? What if you didn't acknowledge that love? What if you didn't act in that love? What if that love is in your spirit? But, I mean, but you are almost, you are somewhat alienated from it. You do not manifest it. You do not walk in it. You're not long-suffering. You're not kind of anything like that. How would that affect those wronged about you? How would that affect you? In other words, you can have the love of God, but you got to walk it out. You can be righteous, which you are, but you got to walk it out. You have faith, but what if you never used it? Would you get the benefits of your faith? No. Counts. The ability to be able to, to speak the very mind of God, pray about things that you know not what to pray for as you ought, and all the very, very many benefits that goes with speaking in tongues. But what if you have tongues and ability and the grace of God to speak in tongues, but you never speak in tongues? Would you benefit from it? No. no. It's healing in your spirit. Yeah. Does the Bible not say that your spirit is, is, is life on healing and health and wholeness because of righteousness and that union with Christ? But if you don't draw that healing out, what would happen? Sickness would still reign, would it not? Well, similarly, you have the mind of Christ, but we need to draw it out. We need to function in it. If we don't function in it, if we don't draw out the mind of Christ, if we don't have our minds renewed, then even though we have the mind of Christ, we will not benefit from having the mind of Christ, nor will those around us benefit from it also. Because in the final analysis, your life is not for you, but it is for him and it is for them. Amen? Alright, so then we need to examine this mind of Christ. What is Jesus' mind? What is his attitude? What is his mindset? What does it look like? What are some of the elements of this mind? Because here we have um, um, we have in 1 Corinthians 2.16 that says we have the mind of Christ, but flip over to Philippians chapter 2. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Glory to God. Say, I have the mind of Christ. So you do have the mind of Christ, but Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Let, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Let this mind of Christ, let it be, allow it, permit it. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So you have it, but you got to let it be. You have it, but you got to allow it. you got to let that mind prevail, and that's what we want to talk about. Letting this mind be in you, letting it be in you. Now, um, just to give you another scripture along the line, 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, we don't quite often associate this verse with the mind of Christ, but it is very much um, an aspect of the mind of Christ and it gives us some insight. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 says. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. For as much then as Christ had suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind. With what? That mind of Christ. That mind of Christ. And in this particular case it is talking about the fact of that suffering in the flesh. Jesus saying no to his flesh so that the will of God could be done. Arm yourself likewise with the same mind, for he that had suffered in the flesh had ceased from sin. So we see that we have the mind of Christ, but we gotta let this mind be in you. But it also says here you gotta arm yourself with that same mind. You got to arm yourself with it. Now, you got to arm yourself with it means you're going to, you must be, it must be that you're going to be coming up against some battles. You're going to come up against some kind of resistance. And without without being armed with the mind of Christ, you're not going to win the battle. Amen? So I got to function in the mind of Christ. Or there are some battles I'm just not going to come to victorious. All right? So we want to find out what are some of the elements of this mind of Christ. What is involved? What does it look like? Now, um, it is important for us to grasp some of the elements of this mind of Christ for this very reason. The Bible says grace and peace is multiplied to you through the knowledge of him. So grace, the grace, the enablement, the empowerment, the ability to be able to even function in the mind of Christ will be increased and multiplied as we know more about the mind of Christ. Does that make sense? Right? Consider righteousness. It says, um, it says in Isaiah 54, verse 13 and 14, My children will be taught of the Lord, and great will be their peace. And in righteousness shall they be established. How come they're going to be established in righteousness? Because they're going to be taught of the Lord. Amen? All right? The Bible says, uh, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But how, how does that happen? That's John eight thirty two. John 8, 31 says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So that continuing in the word, that saying in the word, causes you, you increase in knowledge, you increase in understanding, and as a result, you begin to know the truth. And as you do the truth, that truth will make you free. So it's the same, righteousness, you grow in righteousness by learning about it. Well, similarly, it says therefore, in second 2 in second Peter chapter 1, verse 2, it says, um, grace. That's ability. That's enablement. That's the provision of God. The sufficiency. Grace and peace is multiplied to you through the knowledge of Him and the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. In fact, here's a wonderful scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Turn over there. Is the scripture work while seeing? Well, every scripture is work while seeing. 1 Peter chapter 1. Well, this one is worth putting some stars and some asterisks and, some, and to highlight and stuff like that. Say, grace.
1: grace.
0: Multiply. Oh, All right. First Peter chapter one verse thirteen says, "Girt up the loins of your mind, like your muscles in your brain. Girt up the loins of your mind and be sober. Be sober. Think like God. Don't be speculative in, in your imagination and imagining stuff that doesn't that is off somewhere." But be sober in your mind. Gird the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As there is that unveiling and that revealing and that comprehension and that insight and that knowledge and that revelation of Jesus Christ, that Christ that is in you, as that revelation comes forth, as that knowledge of Him increases, what happens? Here comes grace i'm making this point the point i'm making is it is important for us to grasp and look and consider some of the various aspects and elements of the mind of christ so that as we recognize them we will also have greater grace to walk in them because if we do not walk in the mind of christ we will not have the benefits of having the mind of christ does that make sense amen all right blessed be the name of the lord so what then are the, are, are the elements of the mind of Christ that I'm to walk in, that you and I are to walk in, that we are to appropriate? That So that we can make um, quality decisions, so that we can function and, and, and make decisions that is in accordance with the mind of Christ, that is in accordance to that renewed mind, to the mind of God. What does it take? What are these elements? Now, I'm going to discuss about probably for five or six elements but all but let me start off by saying this turn with me back to Isaiah chapter 11 let me put a framework here glory to God let's go to the end in the beginning <laughs> amen? amen hallelujah all right Isaiah chapter 11 reading from verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Talking about Jesus. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. Hmm. And shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. Now, the Amplified says regarding verse 3 and shall make him of quick understanding, and his delight shall be in the reverential and obedient fear of the Lord. In other words, here is Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him. It's the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge, the Spirit of understanding. And it is the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. But in all of these various dimensions of the Spirit of God that is on him, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, that's his delight. Amen? This is the one that he treasures the most. This spirit of the fear of the Lord, honoring the Father, honoring God, holding him in high esteem above everything and everyone else. And then from that, okay, so hold that hold thought. Flip to Isaiah chapter 33. And I'm pointing that out because when we look at the various elements of the fear of the Lord, every one of them, sorry, when we look at the various elements of the mind of Christ, all of the various elements, you will find that the fear of the Lord is a key to each and every one of them. And when you recognize that to be the case, then you will see why Jesus, his delight, would be in the fear of the Lord. Alright? Isaiah 33, reading from verse... 5. The Lord is exalted, and he dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness, and wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. And the strength of salvation, the fear of the Lord, is his treasure. Now this is an interesting verse in some other versions. Um, talking about the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God, being the stability of our times, and and the spirit of judgment and the spirit of righteousness, and then and then it comes down to this, um, to this to this last phrase: this, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. There's a version that says the fear of the Lord is his master key. In other words, here is God, and in God there is wisdom. In God there is righteousness. There is judgment. There is there is salvation. There is there is um. There is righteousness, there is the glory, there is, there is holiness. And the fear of the Lord is the master key. Now, if we were to just take, we're not teaching on the fear of the Lord today, even though I do desire that our hearts would be stimulated by the Holy Ghost so that we would desire, so that we would develop a passion and a, and a hunger for the fear of the Lord, to walk in the fear of the Lord, to be established in the fear of the Lord. Amen? And so as to be able to stimulate that, I'm saying these things as well. Um, even though we're not getting quite into the fear of the Lord as such. But if you we were to study it out, you would find wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Understanding. Fear of the Lord. Knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Amen? And then we go on and on. We go to righteousness. In righteous, it says in um, um, Malachi 4 and I believe verse 3, that unto them that fear his name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. So even when we study the various attributes of God, we will see that the fear of the Lord hooks right up with them. Um, consider holiness. We, wouldn't, we, we, can, we can easily receive that God is holy. Can we not? Amen? And, um, and it says in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Having therefore these promises, brethren, let us cleanse ourselves from every filthiness of the flesh and perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. So all these very attributes of God are connected to the fear of the Lord. And if God is in you and God is in me and he's in us with all of his glory, with all of his excellence, with all of his attributes, and he wants his very own attributes and nature to be manifested through us. And he says His, He says the key, the master key to all of his attributes is the fear of the Lord. And he's in us with all of those attributes. Don't you not think that the key to those attributes to those attributes that are of God, that are with us, within us, being made manifested and flowing out of us, would it not be the fear the Lord also? Amen. Amen. Does that make sense?
1: Amen.
0: Hallelujah. Having received the kingdom of God, let us, have, let us have fear that we might serve God. Let us have grace that we might serve God with reverence and godly fear. Hebrews chapter 12, and I believe verse 28. Titus 2, verse 10 and 11 and 12. The grace of God that brings salvation teaches us what? teaches us how to live soberly and righteously. In other words, it teaches the fear of the Lord. The grace of God will teach the fear of the Lord. The grace of God will teach the reverential respect and honor and magnification of the Lord and recognizing that He is so set apart that there is no one good as the Lord that will see His great goodness, that will see His magnificence, that will see His holiness, that will see His compassion, that will see His love, that will see His mercy that endures forever. Amen? Because, you see, the fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God. The fear of the Lord is not this, you know, God has this, this, this huge hammer or fly or swatter ready to swat you. Part of the fear of the Lord is seeing the great goodness of God. Amen? We'll come to that in some future lessons. But the fear of the Lord is God's master key. is the very master key. And the fear of the Lord was Jesus' delight. So now as we study the elements of the of the mind of Christ, let us bear that in mind. Let us bear in mind the fear of the Lord and, 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 and reflect on it from time to time. all right. Without turning to it, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 that, um, that Jesus was not heard in the time of, of, of um, and I believe it is referring to when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, where it says, in the days of his flesh, When he had offered up prayers and and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, he was heard in that he feared. He was heard because of his reverence for the Father. He was heard. He had so magnified God that even, even above his own self is above his own desires. Amen. Hence his prayer was, your will be done, not mine. Amen? All right. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Okay, so we're talking about functioning in this mind of Christ and the elements of this mind of Christ. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. See the mind of Christ. And while you're flipping to Philippians chapter 2, Colossians 3 verse 1 and 2 says, if you be risen with Christ, you are to seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. You are to set your affection on the things above, not on the things on the earth. Set your mind, keep them set. My keep set your minds and keep them set on what is above. It, 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 that, that mind of Christ is what we're talking about. Romans chapter 8, verse 6 says the spirit to be spiritually minded is life, it's peace. It's everything reconciled to his original intent and purposes. Say, I've got the mind of Christ. And I'm going to let it be in me. Be in me. Amen. Amen. All right. So, Philippians chapter 2. Now, let's walk. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, let's back up to see what came before that. Amen. Because we tend to read, whenever we read Philippians um, chapter 2 but the man of Christ, uh, when you read it most of the time, it is taught from verse 5 going forward. Come yourself, obedience unto death. But, I believe it starts from verse 1. It may very well have started from Genesis. <laughs> 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 Alright. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in christ any comfort of love any fellowship of the spirit any bowels and mercies fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded having the same love being of one accord and of one mind let nothing be done through strife or vain glory but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves look not every man on his own but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now let me read that over and and amplify it a bit. Back to verse 1. By whatever persuasive incentive there is in the love of God that has been shared abroad in our heart, whatever of that love of God that is persuasive, that gives us an incentive, By whatever participation there is in the Holy Ghost that has shed abroad this love in our heart. In whatever we all have in common and share in this love that has been shed abroad in our heart. What we have in common that we share in the participation that we have been immersed into the Holy Spirit and Him in us. And we've got the Holy Ghost in us. By whatever depth of affection and compassionate sympathy that comes out of that realization... Fill up and complete my joy. Let that love move you into a a joy of harmony with one another. Harmony with all believers. Let it move you into that place so that nothing is done by, 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 by factional motives, by, you know, you know, you know, the sex, this is this is this group and that group, the, the little groups and groups within the church, within the local church, within the body of Christ. Let nothing be done. Let, let this love that moves us, this love that we share, this participation in the Holy Ghost, Ephesians chapter four calls it the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavor to keep that unity. Don't do nothing from a factional motive through contentiousness, strife, selfishness or for unworthy ends, but prompted by, the, prompted by conceit and empty arrogance. Instead, in the true spirit of humility, lowliness of mind, let us regard others as better than and superior to himself. In other words, let me exalt somebody else. Let me think more highly of another than I even do my own self. Let each of us esteem and look Upon and be concerned for not merely his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. What is that talking about? That is the love of God. The Bible says in Second Corinthians chapter five, verse fourteen, the love of Christ constrains us and we judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. In other words, the love of Christ constrains me, controls me dominates me and it dictates to me this mindset. It says it's not about me, but it's about you. It's about us. It's about him. It's about them. Turn me to John chapter 13. So part of this, John chapter 13, part of this mind of Christ, this mind that Jesus operated in, functioned in, was this love constrained, and controlled, and, and, and dominated by this love, which we are to have, which we are to, we have, but we must let it. Amen? We have it, but we must let it. John chapter thirteen. I want us to see this, this is a story here, just to capture it. John chapter 30, reading from verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he was come from God and went to God. That is just a beautiful phrase. We're going to see in the mind of Christ that he taught it not robbery to be equal with God. We operate in this love. We operate in this meekness. We operate in this humility. We serve one another. We highly esteem one another. But we are doing it from a place where we know who we are. We know whose we are. We know we are seated in heavenly places. We know we are at the Father's right hand. We know that now are we the sons of God. We know that we are a joint heir with Christ. We know that we are an heir of all things. We know that he has freely given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Jesus, knowing knowing that, that, that he, where he had come from, and he came from the Father, he's going to be going back to the Father. All things were in his hands. He, rising up from supper, and this was an occasion of the Lord's Supper, and he laid aside his garments and he, and, and he took a towel and he girded himself. Now, I don't know what, what garments he laid aside, but let's just say it was that nice royal robe that he had. That kingly robe. Well, he laid it aside. The Bible says, he, the Bible says in, in, in Philippians chapter 2 that he thought not to be equal with God and he made himself of no reputation. And he took upon himself the form of a servant. In other words then, he took off his king, all his God attributes, he laid it aside and became like a servant. And so here he is, puts, puts on an apron, apron, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with a the towel wherewith he was girded. Then, then coming to Peter, and so on and so forth. Anyway, and so he washed their feet. And then he's going to go on to say, he that is washed, he, he goes on to say, and please come back and read the whole story. But for the sake of time, verse 12, he says, "Know ye not what I have done to you, you call me master. You call me Lord. And, 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 and you say, well, because I am Lord and I am master, verse 13. But if I, then your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. And if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. That is such an absolute demonstration of the love of God. Amen. John chapter 15 verse 12 and 13 says, um, this is, Jesus says, this is my commandment, that ye love one another. As I have loved you. Now let me just pause there for a minute. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, but that he would lay down his life for his friends. Let me go back into the mind of Christ from Philippians chapter 2, when it talks about esteeming others better than you do yourself. Think about that for a moment. I, I must, I esteem you better than I do me? Well, that's the love of God. But wait a minute. The Old Testament love said... That you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Is that right? That's what it said. And that's not too bad. But Jesus is going to go on to say in John chapter 13 and verse 34. A new commandment. Say a new commandment. I give unto you that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. Not as yourself. Because if you don't love yourself, not too good. But he said to love one another as I have loved you. And that you also love one another. No greater love is any man than this, but that he would lay down his life. Esteeming others better than you do yourself. That's the love of God. That's part of the mind of Christ. Amen? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Faith working by that kind of love. The Bible speaks about Jesus being moved by compassion. How can we say we have the love of God abiding in us? And if someone has a need and we can do something about it, and we don't. How can we say we have the love of God and then speak words that are harsh and mean that rip people apart rather than build them up? Rather than washing them with the water of your word, you tear them apart. Whether it be in your own thinking or even one-on-one or, or even when there is b- biting among, among folks. I'm not saying that that is the case here. But I'm saying within the body of Christ, that is not the la- love of God. That is not the mind of Christ. Are you with me? Amen? Let this love be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, a love that will cause us to be moved by compassion. So many times it says that Jesus was moved by compassion, not sympathy. Oh, I understand what you're going through, and you know, and I feel sorry for you. All right? That's you know, pity. But when he was moved by compassion when there was something on the inside of him that wanted to take action to make a difference. Are you with me? Amen. There is a tremendous verse of scripture in First Epistle of, of First Corinthians, chapter eight, verse three, speaking about that love of God again. Where it says in the King James, "If any man love God, the same is known of God." The Amplified says, "If one loves God truly, with affectionate reverence, and it brings this reverence into it, prompt obedience, grateful recognition of God and His blessings, and who He is, He is known by God." And he's worthy of his intimacy with God. And he's owned by God. Now, there's an interesting parallel if we were to study it out between the love of God and the fear of the Lord. If Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. You're going to keep my word. You're going to do what I say. You're going to desire to please me. And then it will also say, concerning the fear of the Lord. It's going to say um, that if the fear of the Lord, we read in Psalms 112, right? The man that fears the Lord delights in doing his word. It will also say, Jesus says, If if you obey me and you keep my word, me and my father is gonna come and make our abode with you. We're gonna come and manifest ourselves to you, we're gonna come and bring you into such a place of intimacy. Why? Because of you being walking in love and doing what love says, and, and so on. And it says the same thing about the fear of the Lord. See intimacy with God is reserved for them that fear him. Psalms 25 and verse 14. So there is that connection between the love of God operating in this love that we're talking about and the fear of the Lord. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter chapter 3 verse verse um, 12 and and 13 says the, love, the Lord make you to increase in abundant love one towards another and towards all. Why? To the end that, you might be, that your hearts would be established in holiness in other words, as we abound and as, as we love more and more, and as we walk in love with one another, what happens? Our hearts become established in this holiness. Our hearts become established in this lifestyle where we are so separated and consecrated and dedicated unto God, as if it is just God only in domination of our lives. Amen? All right. Now let's, let's um, continue. So we see there, going back to Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to say, Who being in the form of God, taught not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no repetition, and took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, say humble, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The issue of humility, with lowliness of mind. Now, I think this is very interesting. Turn with me to John chapter 4. We're just going to look at this. just is a tiny little bit. John chapter 4. This was Jesus' communication with a woman of, uh, at a well. Amen? Say humility. Because again, humility is part of Jesus' makeup, part of his mindset. And it's and therefore, if we are gonna let that mind be in us, then we gotta let the love of God rule and constrain us, and we gotta be clothed with humility, be, be have the humbleness of mind, and so on. Amen. Because humility is is as much a part of it. John chapter 4, reading from verse 4. And Jesus need it be necessary for him to go to Samaria. He came to a city called Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parts of the ground, etc. etc. Verse 6. Uh, verse 7. But then there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, just uh, to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink, for his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that you, being a Jew, would ask a drink of me, who am a, a woman of Samaria? Not only that, but me, who am a woman. Because the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. In other words, then here, in other words, the, the, the Samaritans were like this outcast little group or tribe. And the Jews looked dumb on them and didn't have anything to do with them. But look at Jesus. Jesus comes to her and asks, and first of all, Jesus comes to her a Samaritan. And in addition to that, being a woman, he has, he has nothing to, to, to draw water with and ask her, give me a drink. Now, it might not seem like a big thing to us, but within the culture at that time, that was very humiliating for him to do that. You see, the humbleness of mind and the fear of the Lord will cause us to not be a respecter of persons. You know what I mean? Who's well-dressed and who's not well-dressed. Amen? And it will not cause us to be judgmental and harsh and mean. This person is because it's going to go on, and this woman, this was not her, what? Uh, she had gone through five marriages, and this was in a, she was now in her sixth relationship. And Jesus didn't judge her for that. You see, we've got to understand the love of Christ that constrains us, how it functions. And so we see this issue of humility. It is humility. In fact, it is humility for Jesus, who was God, walking on streets of gold, to come and to be walking on that dusty, dirt with animal droppings in the Middle East in Jerusalem think about it God I mean I mean who was so infinite in power and from to now to be have this limitation of flesh visit with, with all of its weaknesses he was obedient he became took the form of a servant first Peter chapter 5 verse 5 says that you and I are to be uh, to be subject one to another And be clothed with what? Humility. Because God gives grace to the humble. Be clothed with humility. But what does it mean to be clothed with humility? It means to put on Christ. It's to be consumed with Christ. It's to be consumed with the very mind of Christ. Amen? Colossians chapter 3 says, puts it this way. Glory to God. See, I'm getting this. Colossians chapter 3, reading from verse 10 says, Put on the new man which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek, nor Jew, nor circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, sythikian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another, if any have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgive you, so also do ye. And above all these, put on love, charity. And charity specifically has to do with our interaction with one another. This is the God kind of love, which is the bond of perfectness that binds everything together completely in a perfect harmony. Say humbleness of mine. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So we got to let that mind be in us. We got to let that humility be there. We got to let that love of God rule. And then it goes on to say, who made himself of no repetition and taught it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus didn't see it as robbery to equal with God. Why? Because he had a righteousness mindset. I and the Father are one. How many times did Jesus say that? Just in the Gospel of John alone. Several times. You read the Gospel of John, just read the red lettering. Over and over, you will hear Jesus says, I'm one with the Father. John chapter, uh, he says, I and the Father are one. That could be John 10, 31 maybe. The Father is in me. I am in him. I come in my Father's name. The Father always hear me. He constantly, he will always talk to God, talk. Talk about God as Father, 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 Father. His nature is my nature. It is the Father within me. He do the works. And he also in another place would say say that the Father, how that the Father loves him. He was secure in the Father's love. Righteousness would produce that. Righteousness will produce that sense of oneness with God. Because as we said before, the essence of righteousness is oneness with God. It is authority. It is is freedom from that sense of separation and the condemnation and insecurity and inferiority that comes with it. And it is also knowing what your rights are. So Jesus had that righteousness consciousness. Amen? He knew what his rights are. He said he could have called 10,000 angels. He knew that he had a right to do that. He walked in integrity. He walked in authority. The Bible says there was times he would teach the word and it described that the other people listen to it and they said, man, I never heard anybody talk like that. He speaks as one having authority. Amen. He was one with those very words. He had authority. authority. He exercised authority over devils, over demons, over the storm, over the wind. Isn't that right? All right. Exercise authority, saw loaves, and fishes multiplied, the dead raised. He walked in authority of righteousness. He knew what his rights are. He had never in his thinking will allow himself to be separated from God. Which means what? There was no sin consciousness in him. None whatsoever. I and the Father are one. I and the Father one. No sense of separation. And because there's no sense of separation, because there's no sense of sin, There was no consciousness of condemnation, guilt, insecurity, shame, or any other such thing. Amen? He was so free from the consciousness of separation from God. He said in one place in John chapter 5, 26, As the Father has life in himself, so he has given to the Son to have life in himself. He knew that life of God was in him. And he knew that life of God in him was greater than any sickness or any disease. He was not fearful to lay his hands on somebody that had leprosy or that had AIDS or that had something that was, quote, contagious. Why? Because he believed that the law of the spirit of life in Christ that operated within him was far greater and it would swallow up any sickness or disease. So he was never afraid of that. Amen? Now, I'm not telling you to go be presumptuous.
1: <laughs>
0: All right? You know, we need to grow in grace. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that the, the, the level to which he operated... Why? Why? So, but but even as we look at that, what are we seeing? We are seeing that this issue of righteousness is part, is an element of the mind of Christ and we got to let this righteousness reign. Say I let righteousness reign. And the Bible says he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He was obedient even to the very death of the cross. Just to give you a little snapshot into the level of his obedience. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 50. While you're turning there, let me give you the scripture that you know. Um, you've heard the scripture many times in um, Philippians 2 verse 14. Sorry, 2 verse 12. Where it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But before that, it, it came to that part, Paul says, as you have obeyed me. Not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, it's one thing for children to obey their parents when the parents are there. But it's another thing to obey them when they're not there, you that right? But similarly, there is, it's one thing to obey God when, when there's goose pimples and when there's the presence of the Lord and there's, and there's other believers agreeing with you and we're shouting and we're screaming and, and, and we're just having a wonderful time of God and you've just heard the word of the Lord and so on. It's easier to obey God than in that place when you feel oppressed, depressed, lonely, shut out, when you feel like, is this darkness wrong about you? But what do you do in that place? In that place, we even need to be obedient even unto death. Look at Isaiah chapter 50, reading from verse 4. The Lord had given me the tongue of the learn, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakened me morning by morning, he wakened my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God had opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. Jesus says, My meat was to do the will of the Father. I was not rebellious, neither did I turn away back. I give my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that pluck off the hair. Man, that would be a good time to disobey. They're pulling out your hair and they want to spit in your face. I hid not my face from shame and spitting because the Lord God will help me. Therefore, shall I not be confounded. Therefore, have I set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be ashamed, meaning I'm not going to be disappointed. God is with me. He is near that justifies me. Who it is that will who will contend with me? Let us stand together, etc., etc. The, the, the spirit of obedience that Jesus walked in. The Bible says his obe, the, the Bible says he only spoke what he heard the Father say. For that reason, John three thirty-four said he had the Holy Ghost without measure, because he only spoke the words of the Father. Isaiah 5, Romans five nineteen says. By one man's disobedience, that was Adam's disobedience, many were made sinners. But by the obedience of one, the second Adam, which is Christ, many of us are made righteous. So here you and I are righteous. Why? Because of Jesus' obedience, even unto death. We read Deuteronomy chapter 28, and it says, If you hearken diligently unto my word, and you obey my voice, and you keep all my commandments, then these blessings will come upon you. Now when you read that, man, you look at that, you know you have a hearken diligently to his voice. You know you've broken some of the commandments. How, does we, how can we? Man, we read up those blessings. Man, we think disqualified, disqualified, disqualified. But thank God, it's through his obedience that we are qualified. You and I can read that passage and we can say, because Jesus has hearkened unto his voice and because Jesus has obeyed all of the Father's word, therefore, these blessings shall come upon me because he did it for you so that you could be redeemed from the curse and the blessings could be yours. Obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So it says, let that mind, let that mind of obedience, let that mind be also in you. That's an element of the mind of Christ. I believe because of that, that's why it goes over, It goes on to say that he was given a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And he functioned in that. And you and I need to function in that as well, part of the mind of Christ, which is recognizing that authority that every knee must bow to the voice of righteousness. Amen. Hallelujah. Let this mind be new. Now, I want I wanna just, to just say a few, a few more things. It also speaks about the fact that, um, okay, turn with me to First Peter chapter 2. Now, while you're turning there, remember in the story in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus said, who do men say that I am and the answer, and Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, Wonderful. You have, not, you have not heard from flesh and blood, but you've heard from the Father which is in heaven. And he said, Because of that, your name, you're not Simon Barjona, a reed tossed to and fro, but you are Peter, you are a little rock. And upon this rock, I'm going to break my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then Peter got up, Peter got excited too. And then next and Jesus began to unveil to them and tell him, Look, I'm gonna to go to the cross. This is gonna happen. Peter got upset. Peter pulled Jesus and said, No, 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 you're not going to any cross, and began to rebuke Jesus. And Jesus turned to Peter, and I think it is around Matthew 16, 23, and he says, Get thee behind me, Satan, because you are an offense to me, because you savor not the things of God, but the things of men. In other words, Peter. You are, the devil is using you right now to be a stumbling block to me, to hinder me from obeying the Father and going to the cross by using you to try to get me to operate in some kind of selfish motivation and be concerned about what it costs to me and not go to the cross anymore. And so he said, Peter, it was the spirit of offense that you were yielding to. What does he mean by that? He meant that selfish motivation. Amen. Now, there are many times when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, and the devil would say, if you be the son of God, prove it. Turn this bread into, turn this stone into bread. You know you're hungry, okay. right? Do this for yourself. And every time, what was the devil trying to do? He was trying to get him to yield to that spirit of offense. Because of that, it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, Read from verse, verse 22. Who did not sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But he committed himself to him that judged righteously. In other words then, when he was accused, when they made accusations against him that were, that were wrong, that were lies, what did he do? Did he defend himself? No. He trusted God to be his defense. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 and verse 7, He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Why did he not open his mouth? Because if he opened his mouth and made a defense, Pilate, what they're saying to me is a lie. This is not true. If he had done that and he defended himself, he would have yielded to that spirit of offense And he would no longer be the Lamb of God without spot or blemish. But he would have just, he would have missed it. And he would not have been qualified to take the sins of the whole world and to be the propitiation for every sin that any human being can ever commit. Are you with me? Which is to say what? Jesus never yielded to the spirit of offense. So if we're going to let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus, we also must not allow the spirit of offense. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. All right. So, um, just to wrap this up, Hebrews chapter five verse seven. We were talking about that. Let me go back to it again, where it says Hebrews chapter five seven. Glory to God, who in the days of His flesh, when He had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears, strong crying and tears, He was heard, because He feared. Now, it's interesting, you know, this man of Christ, did he, know, did he see some tears? Hello? Was Jesus operating in the man of Christ at all times? But here we see him weeping and crying and, 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 and bleeding. And we see him at one time looking at the children of Israel, wandering off and all of them. And, I mean, they were such a mess. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he wept over Jerusalem. He saw, he saw, he saw um, the situation happen with Lazarus. And he wept, and there's a situation where he's, and here in the garden of the Seminary, he's crying out to God, seeking God, crying out to God, trying to get his disciples to come and agree with him, but they fall asleep. And I'm saying that sometimes in that spirit of the fear of the Lord, sometimes in that spirit of, of, of the mind of Christ, there can be tears, and that's okay, amen? But he was heard in that he feared God. But we see also, too, a pursuit, a seeking of God. There is a seeking that has to take place. The Bible says God look, are looking for those that will seek him, those that will pursue him. I do. The thing about Jacob, that Jacob rested with God, the thing about that is important. It was this pursuit. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me, until I get the answer that I'm looking for, until, I'm lo- until I hear from you. The story about the, the man that came at midnight. Because he wanted, some, um, he wanted some provision for his friend that had come at midnight. Amen? And the Bible says because of his, his importunity, because of his bold-faced, shameless, persuasive, relentless pursuit, Jesus sought after the Father. One of the things about the fear of the Lord, the Bible says in, in, in Psalms 34, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. The young lions... The young lions lions do lack and suffer hunger. You see, the young lions are nice and strong. They have enough ability and power to go feed themselves. But they might still suffer hunger. But they that seek the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not looking to his own strength. But he's looking to the Lord. The Bible says in Proverbs 29 verse 25 that the fear of man bringeth a snare. But they that trust in the Lord. In other words, the fear of man will trust in man's own ability, but the fear of God will look to the Lord and trust in God and look to to God and seek after him. That was Jesus' perspective. Jesus operated so much in the fear of the Lord that the Bible says in um, John chapter 7 and I think verse 18, 17, 18, he says even the doctrine, these wonderful revelations, this stuff that you hear me teaching, these are words that came from my Father in heaven. He says, I didn't make this up. I'm not even going to take credit for the doctrine. He says, this doctrine is not my own. How many times as ministers, ah, man, this is my revelation. Ha, ha, ha. Amen? Mm -hmm. If you ever use this revelation, please give me credit (laughs) that you got it from me. No, he was, I mean, he was such humility, such fear of the Lord. That pursuing of God, that prayer pursuit of God. Mark 1 25 says, morning by morning, a long time before the sun came up, he went out into a solitary place and there he prayed. Amen? The fear of the Lord. The, when you study the fear of the Lord, you will see there is that aspect of the seeking of God. So in, even in the functioning of the fear of the Lord and that element, it means that we also have to have that spirit of supplication, that desire, or that seeking, that pursuing, that going after God, and so on and so forth. Amen? Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I need to close this. So let me close this in this way. Go back to First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. Hallelujah. All right. We read verse 22 and 23, which says, There was no sin or God found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he didn't revile again. When he was insulted, he didn't return insult. When he was abused, he, he suffered. He made no threats and da 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 He didn't seek his own vengeance. All right? But look at verse... Okay, I'm almost there. <laughs> Let it go. Verse... No, it's really... Anyway. Verse 21 says... It's not here, it's up there, not here, this is fine. It says, even hereunto were ye also called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow after him. God said, the Bible said God has called us to walk into to, to the fellowship of Christ. He has called us to the grace of Christ. He has called us to this, he's called us to that. This here says he's called us to the suffering of Christ. Now what's suffering? Are we talking sickness and disease? No. It is not talking about that. This suffering of Christ we be talking about is the price that you have to pay to say no to the flesh. The price you have to pay to walk. To walk in it it fine. Okay. It, it's the price that you have to pay in order to walk in the fear of the Lord, to, to walk in the mind of Christ, and so on. Because 1 Peter 4, verse 1, going back to that, it says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, Arm myself likewise with that mind. To put up with suffering, sickness, and disease? No. To put up with abuse? No. That's not what it's talking about. But it is saying what it takes for you to say no to self. When you say no to yourself, you think your flesh likes it? Hmm? <laughs> no. <laughs> Amen? Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, and I really got to end, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29, he made an interesting statement where he said, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Amen. First Peter five nine says your brethren are dealing with the same conflict. Well, there is a conflict between the spirit and flesh. Amen. I think Galatians five seventeen talks about that. There is a conflict. There is a war. There is a battle between them. And, in, and, in, and deciding that you're going to walk in God, you're going to walk in the mind of Christ, you are, you have to deal with that conflict. And that's part of the price. Amen? Now, having said all of that, at the end of the day, obviously, having said all of that, the, one of the, the, the key to the mind of Christ, and to all the various attributes, whether the attribute we talked about is righteousness, the love of God, compassion, um, humbleness of mind, right, or faith, or whatever else, the fear of the Lord is the master the key. But therefore, what should I do? I should seek the fear of the Lord. I should cry out for the fear of the Lord. I should say, Lord, teach me the fear of the Lord. I should say, Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. Amen? All right? There's a lot of scriptures regarding the teaching of the fear of the Lord. We, some or the other, sometimes get it lost in the new covenant. But God, God is still the same. What, but many times in the new covenant, it doesn't call it the fear of the Lord. Sometimes we we'll call it about loving God. Amen? Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It said they that fear the Lord shall not want any good thing. The young lions, the ones depending on their strength, their own strength, they'll they'll suffer hunger, but they that fear the Lord shall not want any good thing. Psalms 34 verse 10. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's stand. Glory to God. Say, I got the mind of Christ. Christ. Now let me ask you, will you let that mind be in you? Amen? Say it again, I have the mind of Christ and I will let this mind be in me that was also in Christ Jesus. I arm myself with this same mind even though suffering comes with it. Suffering in the flesh, say no to the flesh. So Father in Jesus name unite my heart to fear your name. Teach me the fear of the Lord. Reveal it to me. Release that spirit of the fear of the Lord over my life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, I praise God. The Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. Amen. amen. Praise the Lord.